Hey, welcome back to the Level Edit, a game development podcast. Uh, today I'm leading the podcast. I'm Nida, a game UXer, and we have two other people with us today. Hello, uh, I'm Glyn uh, at Can't Be Left Blank. I do various CAD visualization shenanigans, and I also make terrible not games in my free time, like this podcast thing. Uh, and I am Dan. I am at Games underscore Later on Twitter. And I am currently developing a narrative game in Unity. Awesome. So today we'll be talking about designing tutorials. We'll be starting with our favorite tutorials, then how to design a good one, balancing all its parts because there's so many parts to tutorial, role of player behavior and agency, and if a tutorial is bigger than what it actually says on the tin. So yeah, let's start off with our favorite tutorials. Uh, I'll, I'll go for the elephant in the room. Uh, which mm-hmm. is probably like Half-Life 2. Uh, it has some of the best instances, in, in my opinion, of different kind of techniques that you can use when you're trying to integrate tutorials um, without literally giving someone a level and saying, like, hey, here's everything you can do in the game. Uh, go and do them before you can actually play the game. I think, like, Celeste <clears throat> is also pretty good. Anything by uh, by Matt Thornton or um, even games like Stardew Valley that kind of get you right into the action are pretty good at introducing their users to new concepts. I have to say, a lot of the games that I actually buy, I've already seen gameplay of because I went to streamer play it and I'm like, I'm buying this. Um, so I kind of already know how to play the game because I've been watching somebody play it. So tutorials are mostly kind of lost on me. The most recent one I had to actually do a tutorial for was For Honor because mm. that's like pretty unique mechanics. You can like block and attack in three directions, so you have to like learn to parry and um, attack and dodge and roll and stuff, which is not gameplay that I'm used to because I don't normally play a sort of first-person Lara Croft sort of games. They're not the ones I normally play. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the four on one was pretty good. In terms of tutorials, my favorite style is like Kingdom Rush, where when a new mechanic is introduced, there'll be a little pop-up and it'll say, "This is what you're about to face," and it goes away. And it comes up at a relevant time, and it's nice and easy to get rid of. So I think Glenn kind of already said my favorite one, but I really like Celeste's one. Just because it's short and straight to the point, and it's more embedded within the gameplay, rather than having a separate tutorial section. Um, and also when they are giving you instructions, it's usually using like one word and an imagery. So you don't have that problem of like accessibility. There's a nice bit, for example, like when you walk past, or I guess when you jump over some blocks, and then behind you, you see an ice block fall, and then you realize that that's the function of this item on the screen, uh, that it can kill you, for example. So sometimes words aren't even needed. It's just interesting in that sense. But I mean, I think that, like, especially given your examples, that kind of begs the question of what do you think makes a good tutorial? I mean, I, I think it's important to kind of differentiate, like you said, like there's some things that you can't avoid showing. I think these are mainly like key bindings. Um, like you have a certain key, you need the person to know that that key is a thing. In terms of like the behavior of uh, objects, entities, or any kind of like complicated puzzle solving, mm. um, like that can definitely be done through environmental storytelling, so to speak, rather than just like, hey, hit A to push this. Uh, well, maybe you have like A to push, um, but then you wouldn't tell the user, for example, like how to solve the puzzle. It would be more of like, how can we design this environment such that they'd automatically follow the solution that we think would be the right one to solve this puzzle yeah i agree i don't really like tutorial levels as 
tutorial levels. I would prefer level one to secretly、mm. be the tutorial level. That's like most effective in my books because no one wants to play a tutorial, even、yeah. if they need. Even if they need a tutorial, no one wants to. They just want to get into it. They don't want to have to sit and read a manual. I actually find getting into a game is like the hardest part. That first ten, twenty、mm. minutes. If you've not captured my attention, then it's like I probably just will never fire this up again. You really do want to just throw them into the action, but obviously you don't want to throw them into too much peril. So maybe just have a nice little basic level one, where you introduce a mechanic one at a time, and by the end of the level, they've picked up most of the mechanics. Something like that. That's not too slow, not too demeaning. Is probably the best in my books. There's like set features, right? Because it seems like we're getting repetitive ideas of what to do in tutorial. And I think,、um, I think what Dan was suggesting was kind of like the way you frame it is very important. Like I remember, like a lot of the old COD games, before you have you start the campaign, there'd be like a training mission where you go to the range, and you'd run through all like this is how you pick up a gun, this is how you reload a gun. And in fairness to the devs, they put in like a lot of effort into those things, but it always felt like, okay, now can I go and shoot someone? I know, like、uh, like Stardew Valley, although it, to me it kind of seems like not as much attention was paid to the tutorial, but at the same time, like it, a lot of the things you can't do early on, like you can't do fishing until like day two, you can't do like mining until like day three. When you get to the the first screen, you have to talk to someone, which is you have to interact with people. You then get given the、uh, the seeds and shown how to farm. None of this is breaking the stride of the game. Like、mm. you're still doing the things. Uh, that you wanted to do, like the first day of farming, and then like maybe the second day, they're like, "Oh, by the way, you should go talk to this fisher dude, and he'll show you how to fish." So it's never like breaking the pace of the game. You always feel that you've got something to do that is in the game world, without having like, "Oh, go to this tutorial level and do like all of the things that you could do in the game, but in this very specific level." And afterwards, your progress is kind of wiped. It kind of reminds me, like I think it's Portal One or Two. I can't remember. It's you wake up at a certain point, and then they do like certain tests to see if you're okay,、um, and they use that. As a tutorial kind of thing, even though it's more just getting you ready for the game, like press X or whatever, stand up or look down. So yeah, I think framing plays a really huge point. But with a good tutorial, I guess, like, how does it play a role in like shaping or teaching you the puzzle of the game? Yeah, so obviously tutorials are pretty important in puzzle games because puzzle games tend to be quite different each time. I think for puzzle games in particular. You show someone the, the puzzle pieces, but you don't give them the solution. Anything that kind of hints towards a solution, I think, is just sort of—it's a bit lazy. It's a bit sloppy. It makes the user not feel very clever. You know, the player feels a bit boring. It, it, it just feels like, oh, you just told me what the answer was, and I'll just go and do that. Like, there's not really much challenge to that. I recently watched somebody play through Spider-Man, the new one,、mm-hmm. and a lot of the time, it's during the boss fights, for example. I always think of boss fights as like mini puzzles. Um, because you just have to figure out what their rotations are, and then you know get your moves in at the right time, and everything is flashing so brightly on the、um, on these boss battles. You'll hear Spider-Man say to himself something like,、uh, "Oh, I need to do this," and then I'll hit him in the face at this time,、yeah. and it's like, "Well, you know, I mean, yeah, okay, fine. So we know exactly what we need to do now, but did、yeah. you?" It kind of depends what you're going for. Not every boss battle has to be a, a, a you know, a puzzle. And sometimes it's just a test of, you know, have you got the mechanical skills to do it? Have you got the reflexes to do it?、Mm. But you know, I think you don't you don't want to like tell people what to do because there is some joy in figuring it out for yourself. Potentially, you could put in a hint system if you know this is the third time you've started the boss fight and you think、hmm, maybe I need to sort of add some hints in. That's Maybe a solution, not super elegant, and some people get frustrated with that as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, with puzzle mechanics, I would just say introduce a mechanic and then build on that mechanic. The um, the one that I had written down just as a very basic example was wall jumping in like Super Mario 64. So obviously, if you jump into a wall, you sort of clip onto it, and you can slide down, and then you can jump back off in the other direction to gain more height than if you were just in a single jump. So you could have, you know, um, a tight little tunnel where you need to jump, do a wall jump, and then you'll flip up onto a higher platform. That's great. So we we use the wall jump. The next time, you like the next challenge, which is probably just like one minute down the road, you have to do multiple wall jumps in a row. So this shows the player, ah, I can chain together multiple wall jumps. Same mechanic, nothing new really, but we've just figured out a new way to use it. So Mm. then they use multiple wall jumps to get right to the top of a really high platform that they might not have known that they could do otherwise. And, you know, the level design will influence that very, you know, greatly. It will be pretty obvious without having to signpost or say anything at all. The third example that I gave was that you could maintain trajectory on two planes so you could be going forwards in a direction and you can also be wall jumping constantly down say like a tight chasm where there's like a spike pit below you so if you're constantly wall jumping you can you know maintain the direction that you're going in whilst also keeping up your height because you're doing wall jumping as well so that's three ways of using the exact same mechanic nothing has changed it's the exact same mechanic Mm -hmm. but you have said right this is stage one this is stage two this is stage three now you have that tool basically you've shown them how to use that tool and you know those will those mechanics will be woven into future levels that maybe there'll be new mechanics and you'll kind of you know start merging those mechanics together and each you know each new mechanic you'd want to maybe give three levels to as well that's how i would prefer to see a puzzle game or any sort of like puzzle mechanic be explored. You don't just say, look, you can fly, fly over there, next mechanic. <laughs> yeah, so it's like taking it as a teaching moment rather than just telling people what to do. Exactly. You say, you know, I just told you something. Can you figure this out for yourself? I think kind of expanding on that, going back to what you were saying about when AAA games kind of have these enemies and they, they, you know, they make something flash on the enemy, to highlight, oh, this is a weak point, or they have some upgrade that lets you see the weak points. I think in a lot of games, especially puzzle games, the preparation work is very important. Like, maybe you have a boss that has a bunch of these, like, energy tanks that you have to shoot. That's, like, the weak point kind of thing. Having that earlier in the game maybe is either something you have to shoot to break through, like, a blockade or depower something, or maybe you have versions of enemies that have these giant energy tanks that are bigger than the boss's energy tanks, so they're easier to hit. But that's also their weak point, and kind of help to mm-hmm. signal ahead. I think you do have to be a bit careful, because every time you give the player a lesson, and they build this association that, oh, I shot these giant energy tanks on the flamethrower guy's back, and they, it exploded and killed them. So obviously, like, if I shoot these tanks, you know, it must help me progress in some way. I think that if you then use that to maybe like, oh, you have to repair this damaged energy tank, it might be a bit confusing because you've got conflicting lessons that you've taught the player. One is that shooting them lets you destroy stuff and get through places. And the other is like, oh, now you need to repair it. And it doesn't quite make sense. So it's just like consistency in game logic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, consistency in kind of priming the player. You know, if you, if you have a weak spot, especially with bosses, um, if it's something that they've never seen before, you have to be very clear about like why they think it would be a weak spot. I think like highlighting things and 
is kind of a cop out. Um, I mean, it depends how what important it is. Uh, it might not be too important. Maybe you just have like critical hits pop up. Yeah, yeah, I mean that is a problem in itself. I've designed a few boss battles when I was in my Minecraft days. The amount of UI that you have to your availability is very low. Normally, there's like a screaming sound, and you're like, oh, okay, I think I'm doing something right now. <laughs> but that was a problem that we had with, you know, you don't want it to be this huge flashing shiny spot because it's kind of like, oh, well, yeah. I guess I know what to do. <laughs> but at the same time, you don't want to be running around constantly like, where the hell do I go? What the hell do I do? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's Boss battles are like kind of completely different beast, but they, they can be tough too. You know, to measure the balance between how obscure or, you know, obfuscated do you make the solution for the payoff, or, you know, do you just say straight up this is what you have to do and the challenge is more in doing it rather than what you do or figuring out what to do. Yeah, I think there's an element of just, I guess, respecting or not insulting the intelligence of your player as well, right? When you're doing I was watching a DDC talk by the guy who made the mobile game Threes. I don't know if you've heard of it, it's quite famous. But he was talking about what makes a good tutorial, at least from his perspective, in doing puzzle mobile games. Um, and he said there were like three things involved, which I think we've kind of covered, which is like teaching the player, comfort them if need be, respect them, and also make them excited. And I guess we can see how that imply- applies to different types of gaming. Like you can see that across the different genres. What does comfort refer to? I think it's more just like actual comfort. To kind of support them in going along. Oh, so like yeah. a nice, easy yeah. environment for them to work. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, you don't like, hey there, you'll be do, you'll do better <laughs> next time. You, you don't want to be overwhelmed. I think. Um, yeah. Like balance, right? Like, say you have a mechanic like when you first start up Celeste, fairly short into the game, there's like a falling ice block, but it's in a scenario where you jump on the platform, and the ice block falls from above you, and then you jump away. But you're given like a fairly good amount of time. For this interaction to take place um, and you can always like jump back onto the previous platform and then jump over on top of the fallen ice block so there's, there's a lot of ways that you can mitigate uh, and also it's quite a, it's a very short like frame so if you die you just start again so that the the kind of price you have to pay for failing or playing around is fairly low and it's fairly easy to see how you'd resolve the situation either by being faster or by like jumping back yeah, if it's like throwing in an environment where it's like okay to make mistakes, and even if you do, the yeah. repercussions aren't too massive. And you also understand like where you went wrong, rather than just like you just got one shot and you don't know how you could have ever kind of avoided it. Yeah, I think it's really helpful, especially like in any game when you experience that same thing later on, you kind of know what to do. And if there are other problems attached to that, you know how to work on it because of the previous steps you experienced. Yeah, that makes sense. I would agree with this. What were they again? Teach comfort. Teach, comfort, respect, and, um, and excite. That's excite, it. Yeah. That was yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. It was interesting what you were saying about respect. I've, <clears throat> I've, I've not actually made too many kids games, but I've heard mm. that often people make kids games and they're like, oh, kids are dumb. Let's just make it easy. <laughs> and then kids are playing it and they're like, just finish it like that. And you're like, really, kids are actually better at picking things up than adults are. So. I would say that that's something to watch out for if you are making mm. a kids game. Don't just think, oh, we're making it for kids, so we better not make it too hard. Like In our childhood, the <laughs> games were rock solid. Yeah. Rock solid, but you still get through it. Yeah, I think you can see that example in mobile games, right? Where it's just mainly imagery rather than text. Yeah. And you learn through that. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a good point, though, that 
I think most developers, when they see someone play their game, and they just like they do everything wrong immediately, and you almost kind of form this perception that you know people are people will do the worst or silliest things if I put them in this environment. But I think that kind of mindset negates the fact that people can form these associations between what you're giving them and what they have to do very quickly. Like their ability to learn is very good. It's just that their perception of the environment you put them in might be different mm -hmm. to what you personally perceive the environment to convey. Uh, so I think the learning factor is very fast amongst pretty much everyone, including kids. It's just like how they go about what, what they see on the screen might be different from what you see on the screen or what, what different things convey might be different. Yeah, I think developers, and I think even when I've done play testing, it's kind of being like, oh my God, how can they not pick this thing up? But then you've also got to understand that you've played this game and worked on this game. You know the ins and outs. Yeah. And if your users or your players are having trouble with it, that means there's something wrong from your end. There's no problem with your players. You know, the responsibility is on you, which can be hard to admit sometimes if you love your game a lot. I think that's just another challenge that you can work with to see how you can make your tutorial even more accessible and understandable over time. Yeah, I think you're right. I think playtesting, especially on a tutorial level, like it's mm. important to get it super crisp, super clean. Later on, it kind of, once they're in and they kind of know what they're doing, then it's not quite as bad. But you really want to make sure that your onboarding process is like really good. The problem with playtesting and onboarding process, like the onboarding process is the first 10 or 15 minutes of the game where people are just figuring out what to do, what are the mechanics. And the problem with that is, um, I think I've spoken to Glenn about this already in a different interview. When they've tested it, they're like they're kind of wasted then. Like you get this fresh batch of playtesters and they're pure and ripe and ready to play. And then as soon as they have like been on the game for 15, 20 minutes, you can't use them as fresh eyes anymore because they know your game. They know how it works. Um, you can't retest your tutorial because they know the mechanics now. Just because you're presenting them in a different way doesn't actually mean that they, you know, it doesn't mean your tutorial is more effective because the second time around they played well. That just means they already know how to do it because they've already done your tutorial and they've probably already played more of your game. We had a problem with this when we were doing this three-player game that we were working on. Like a lot of the, a lot of like level gating because we didn't want people to just go flying miles in advance. So there was loads of buttons where they had to have three people on the pressure plates at the same time to open up the next level, for example. And as soon as people have been playing the game for a while, they say, oh, there's three things, we need all three people here. And they just know that in, in future. But beforehand, they didn't know three, three things means, oh, we need all three of us. They just thought, how can I press these three things at the same time myself? I mean, it's just like one example, but with playtesting and onboarding process you have to be really careful that you are going to use your playtesters efficiently because you know they're quite obviously playtesters you can you might have them for a long period of time a couple but they're you're only going to get so many people in and you want to make sure that you're like maximizing the use out of all of them so you know maybe don't have five people do your tutorial version one get one person to do tutorial version one and then think oh i'll fix this and then next person does tutorial version 1.1 and then you kind of keep tweaking it just so that you can get them like maximum mileage out of your new play testers yeah i think that's an example of like a b testing as well where you show different uh types or versions and then see the responses as well. Yeah, I think it's generally an iterative process, especially with playtesting works hand in hand with your design process and improving your game over time. 
It's quite funny because I think the example you gave it reminds me of exams at university. We kind of don't really learn. Well, you do learn the content, but it's a lot about learning the paper. And if this question appears, I know to write these things rather yeah. than actually being a teaching moment. And I think you can see that with games as well. Yeah, I can definitely see the parallels. Uh, I'm with Dan. Let's definitely save the, the best to last. Mm. Save the, the freshest people who haven't had any experience with your piece of software game until last. I think there is a caveat to that, which is if you're taking your your whatever you've made to a, an event, probably like if you've gone through many early versions with like friends, other developers, and then you're getting onto the point where you're really going ham on like your the beginning of your of your game and like playtesting some of the actual full playthroughs, then it's time to maybe start putting in other people who haven't had as much experience with games, maybe like your mum or. <laughs> <laughs> everyone everyone in the studio's families, things like that. But I, I think one of the things that can be valuable is if you get the chance to go to events. I know like w where I work we have people come into the office every now and then who are like almost like tour groups. Um, so they're generally like people who haven't had any experience playing games or software. And the speed at which they will break the things that you've made is, uh, is amazing. Especially because they might be coming from different countries or different types of backgrounds. So I think we, we do have a natural tendency to know the same people anyway. Mm -hmm. So getting out to like an event where people are coming from all over different countries, uh, different languages, can really help to like put your game or piece of software through like the most rigorous kind of testing. Because you don't know what you're expecting. It's, it's kind of a lucky dip. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, just on to the next question, because I think this is a huge one we were talking about even before recording. So I posed the question to you. Should we front load or have a gradual introduction of mechanics with regards to tutorials i hate front loaded tutorials so <laughs> much i hate it i think it's horrific people do not want to get on they don't want to fire up a new game and then sit and read for 10 minutes no one wants mm -hmm. to do that they want to just jump straight into it I, d I just hate front loading i don't see any excuse for it really from a functional point of view could you see any positive of front loading or not just overwhelms the player. Like, if you have like 20 mechanics in your game and you're like, these are all the things you can do. You can throw an acid bomb, you can double backflip, you can triple backflip, you can jump off walls, you can throw shurikens. Then the player's like, the, the, you kind of need to get like the muscle memory going and you need to actually practice these skills. And, you know, I don't want to be fighting a training dummy for 20 minutes trying to figure out every single move that I have in my arsenal. Just like one or two is good to sort of get the action going. And then you kind of want to just like, introduce mechanics as you go along which kind of it classes as like player progression and it also i mean i guess that's you know not even just front loading the tutorial but that's front loading all of your mechanics in general which i guess is a different question but you know by, by spreading stuff out you feel like some kind of real progression in the actual player and one of the big problems with putting everything right at the beginning is you might just forget everything, you know. twenty. If I said 20 moves to you, I guarantee you wouldn't remember every single one of them. And you might go through the entire game without even knowing that there's a double backflip wall jump because you forgot, because it was told to you right at the beginning of the game. Um, and there might be a couple of tiny moments in the game where they require you to use that, but, you know, you'll be damned because you don't remember it. Yeah, I don't know, I just... I think it will be really hard for players to remember everything that they need to know. I think it will make the onboarding process really boring and it will make it really difficult for players to actually get into the game and even want to proceed. I mean, I, I can sort of counter that, but it's very much an agreement. Uh, I think it can be important to front load hotkeys, but not necessarily the mechanics. Um, like, you know, you might need to know 
that you can press space to jump, but not necessarily like you don't need to know that you can double jump, backflip, dash, roll, run kind of thing. Like there might be a bunch of associated movements um, that you might not need to know straight away. But often within like the first 20 seconds of your game, there's a lot of demand for, you know, how do I move? Uh, stuff that can seem obvious, like how do I move forwards? And just like putting some environmental background that just has like W for move or something that just takes up one frame and then they move on to the next frame and maybe it tells me how to dash. And obviously you can accompany this with like environmental stuff. So it kind of feels, I, I think the issue is it when you have a game and you have a bunch of these keys, it's very tempting just to say, here's a tutorial level, go do that. But some of the best games I find is when they're kind of like a the feeling you get when you're going through an obstacle course where it's just constant go and you feel like every movement is natural. And I feel like in some games like Celeste, you know, you'll be running along and then it will just have like a prompt, like, you know, there'll be something to climb and it'll say space to jump and then you'll jump over that and then it'll move on to the next frame. Where a frame is like kind of like a platformer level shot, essentially. And you might have, you know, you, you run along a falling bridge and the bridge falls down, you're, you start to fall into the chasm and it's like press space again to double jump and then you double jump. And stuff like that you can get over very quickly and it's not necessarily as gradual teaching of how mechanics string together to form this complex puzzle solving narrative but it tells you how to interact with the environment because i think later on when players are trying to experiment within the environment they need to know the basic keys that they're kind of constrained to yeah i mean i would agree with that i would agree that you know you need to have the basics but i wouldn't say saying how to walk forward and jump is front loading really that's just yeah. like you obviously need a starting point so yeah i would agree with that yeah it reminds me of like so just thinking of like some psychology behind it like if you are going for gradual introduction it's really good in terms of like reinforcement learning so not like repeating the tutorial but like building on the tutorial as you go along with negative and positive consequences and people can learn through that way and then there's another concept with regards to cognitive load which is if you have too much in your head basically too much information going in you won't be able to store it all and even when you are like told to recall a lot of what you've read or seen people tend to only recall the last thing they heard or saw. They'll forget what's in the middle, and then they might remember a bit of what was at the beginning. So it's like it, there's not much processing and rehearsal going along if you are just cramming in all this information and you're not really learning per se. You're just trying to memorise things that will probably just escape as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of um, with puzzle games, especially when you're kind of developing your first puzzle games. There's this... There's this feeling of kind of, hey, I want to make a challenging level, because that's what makes a puzzle game good. But a lot of times when I see talks by puzzle game designers and, and run through these things myself, is each level is a lesson that you're trying to teach to the player. Uh, it's not really about like how hard it is to beat or like how much brain power it takes. It's what do you want to teach this person? Um, because otherwise you're just going to end up with a bunch of levels that are just a bunch of stuff to do. One of the things I like about Celeste is like um, I was talking earlier about the falling block and how one of the first levels teaches you that these blocks will fall and you'll have to get out of the way otherwise you get squished and there's kind of like an accidental lesson if you jump back that you can also wait till they fall and then jump on top of them. And later on they have like separate instances that teach you hey if this thing if this block falls onto spikes it'll just sit on top of the spikes and then you can climb onto it and get over. And then there'll be separate lessons for like oh maybe if this thing drops you won't actually be able to progress. You have to figure out a way to either not make it drop or like get past it, let it drop, and then jump on it. So it's a it's a single object where there'll be a bunch of separate levels 
they each teach you one lesson about the object so that later on you'll be able to have these more complicated levels where instead of teaching lessons about the block you'll be able to learn about something else but the block can be part of the challenge. Yeah I think there, that kind of links to the example I was going to talk about which is Alien Isolation uh, which is one of my favorite games of all time but um, the way it does tutorials throughout the game is through weapons so when you find a new weapon it won't really tell you what to do with it other than like right click or left click but you learn its function and its impact through when you first pick up the item like within a minute or so you'll find an enemy to use it on uh, they'll randomly pop up um, and when you use it on them that's when you learn how it works what's its impact like if it can sustain me or not or if I need to use something else um, and I think that's a I don't know if I'll call that a tutorial but it's a type of tutorial where you're learning a weapon but it still adds to your gameplay experience as you go along. I don't um, know if that makes sense. In terms of like what the, the player should know, I feel like if there is a mechanic in your game, it should be really clear to the player that it has been, you know, it needs to actually be taught to the player. They shouldn't accidentally figure it out in one of the later stages of the game that they could do a triple jump when they could have done a triple jump the entire game, you know? Yeah. That's, I feel like if at any point a player doesn't know a mechanic that they are supposed to know, then that's, you know, that's pretty poor design. You know, they shouldn't accidentally learn anything. They shouldn't just not know something. Fine, they might forget something, but then it's more on the player, and the player feels like, oops, that, yeah, okay, that was my bad, I forgot. As long as we're not front-loading everything, and they're having time to, you know, digest with the information that they've taken in, and then, you know, here's a new mechanic, okay, I'll learn how to use this mechanic. As long as they have a chance to sort of spread everything out, then there's not really much of an excuse for them to forget the mechanic. It's more down to they're not using that whole toolkit effectively, which is, you know, on the player. Again, I don't think you should be teaching solutions to problems. You should be presenting the problem to the player, and then they should know all of the tools that they have available to overcome this problem, whether it's an enemy, it's a boss fight, it's some complicated parkour. They should know everything that they can do, and then they should apply that themselves to figure out what the solution is right but it could be asked though right can't you let the player experiment for a bit or let them explore like how would you balance that with guiding through a tutorial rather than just letting someone explore the environment because wouldn't that like frustrate them if you keep telling them what to do i mean i think paul's pretty good at this where it, it presents all of the individual mechanics early so you learn how they work you learn how to recognize them and then it will present a problem that has a bunch of these different mechanics in and it will almost seem like there's an obvious solution but then you'll try that solution and it won't quite work so then the problem becomes how do i solve this thing that is preventing me from doing the thing that i wanted to do originally i i think this is a really interesting question um i'm going to bring up kingdom i don't know if you've played kingdom it's um it's the pixel game. You may have seen images of it. Um, and you ride on a horse. You're a king. You're riding on a horse. And you have to set up your own little kingdom. And you have one thing you can do. You can move up and down. And, that, um, and you can spend the coins on specific activities. And at no point does the game ever tell you what anything does. Um, you, for example, can spend the money on a tree. You know, what does spending one coin on a tree do? I have no idea. But the player does it and they figure out that it actually chops the tree down. It, it hires somebody to chop that tree down and then um, when the tree, the tree is chopped down then it makes room for rabbits to spawn and rabbits can be hunted and rabbits give you lots of gold. So it's like that is a game where the players are expected to just explore, 
play around, figure stuff out for themselves. But the problem with those sorts of games is that you can feel really lost. You can never really know exactly what a mechanic is doing. There is, um, within the game, I think they have like a, a temple or a shrine. And if you spend money on the shrine, then it empowers your units that attack for one day. But, you know, you could spend money on that shrine and be like, what the hell happened? I don't know. Night comes. Sometimes there isn't even combat every night. So you could have spent money on this unit upgrade shrine. Next day, you still have no idea what it does. You don't know what happened. And even if there was combat, there was nothing really to guarantee that you know exactly how much damage your archers are doing because there's no numbers or indicators of how much damage is being done. It's just really confusing and I, I haven't actually played it. I was watching my brother play through it and he was like, I think this does this and I think this does this and then he actually had to go online to figure out what all of these <laughs> mechanics do because it's not clear, you know? Yeah. And it's quite a shame because there's actually really deep, complex gameplay. Like you can there's some strategies where you can actually go and take the fight to where the monsters are spawning and you can take out that portal so that monsters can no longer spawn there. But there's nothing that tells you that you should do that or that you could do that. You're just kind of like bumbling your way through the first few levels and even in the later levels you might not have a great idea of what's going on. And it's like, is it just lazy? Do they just think, oh, I can't be bothered to put a tutorial in? I think with the with the example of Kingdom, you were saying about, you know, really simple instructions, like maybe it's just W on a signpost. I think there's definitely something of yeah, merit in that. It would be like, hey, you can pay the coin to upgrade a thing, right? And then the rest of the game is you try. Yeah, I mean, you have a little circle. There's an empty circle that shows you can pay a coin here. Yeah. So it, that's literally all the game shows you in terms of UI. But, but there were, like one of the things I wanted to mention before was when you have a, a challenge... Although it's up to the player to solve the challenge, it's very much like in the game developer's court how to present it. So I'd imagine like whenever you have something that you can pay for, there's a very good indicator that you can pay for it, like like a coin or like an icon. And maybe like uh, like, like you were saying with, hey, I upgrade the archery range, but I don't know what effect it has. Maybe there's some room for like, oh, now all my archers carry like padded armor or something to show that they've they've gained some kind of like advantage. Yeah, some like more clear UI would probably be helpful. And who knows, maybe they do have UI that actually shows this stuff, but you spend a lot of the time sort of running up and down and it might not be that, you know, your archers are the thing that you're paying attention to at that time. I do think it's possible that, you know, you can have these sorts of games. And, you know, it's fun to just explore the mechanics, figure out what happens. Some games are really based on exploration. I mean, Journey is another one that people probably know a lot more about. I will be honest, I've not played it, so I'm not entirely sure how the tutorial system works, but from what I understand, it's extremely simplistic. There are no words, um, and you kind of just do it, and you see what happens. And there are games like that that can be really effective, but I dare say that Journey is a simpler game. There's not as many like complex mechanics... It's kind of more platformery, so you can kind of feel and see exactly what's happening when you're trying to solve puzzles because you can see the environment changing or, you know, yourself moving, something like that. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I it's if it's part of the aesthetic, then that's great. And the, the one thing I was going to say was that um, tutorials that don't require any words, and there are some games that don't require any words at all, they're extremely universal, which, you know, I think is something... That is definitely worth considering. You know, if you can make a game and you don't need to say a single word to convey every single mechanic, then that is 
you know, that's probably a challenge that every designer should do at some point in their lives, just because it's um, it shows that you don't need to sort of rely on language as a crutch and you can show mechanics, which is, you know, it makes it very quick and easy to teach something. But again, you sort of have to balance it with, do, do I even know what all of these mechanics do in and out? Do I need to know what they do in and out? I kind of need to finish the game, so, There's, um... yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different things you can use. There's there's also danger in, in using these things. So most of these things are kind of a way of telling the basically environmental storytelling. So kind of, you know, you might have a, if you have a trap, for example, you might put like a bloody body next to it, so that the player kind of recognizes that there's something not quite right before they even walk into the environment. Same thing with uh, I know Half-Life has a bunch of like there's a barnacle enemy, and one of the first points at which you see the enemy is you walk through a door and you'll see it like picking up a skull and it'll pick up the skull, chew it and basically crunch it and spit it out as like little pieces. So you have some kind of idea of how the enemy works before you even get there. Um, so different ways of showing either, you know, maybe NBC's fighting so you get an idea of like how they fight or kind of priming the player for when they encounter those kinds of things. or showing a story through the environment like maybe you have a puzzle where a bunch of things are already set up like i know portal does this all the time where i have like an orb and maybe the orb flies over and does something in a repeated loop but it isn't quite the thing you wanted to do so now you're thinking how can i change this to do the thing i actually want to do same like half-life 2 has a bunch of like oh if you see this sign you know early on you'll see the lambda sign and you'll really easily find like a hidden cache uh next to it and then later on there'll be a lambda sign, but the hidden cache won't be as obvious, so you actually have to root around for it kind of thing. So you're building up these kind of environmental associations. I think the only thing you do have to be very careful of is when you're building these kind of environmental associations, then using them in a different scenario. Like maybe you have explosive barrels and then later on you have the same barrels, but they're not explosive. Maybe you've had a certain sign that means a secret cache, but later on you have it as meaning like a secret switch or something and the player doesn't even know they're looking for a switch because they're expecting to find loot so because you've had them find loot like three times in the past now they're just looking for the loot instead of the switch yeah there's a whole whole bunch of things like using color to indicate certain things or even with lighting you can light up certain areas of the map that you want your player to go to i think journey must have like a bunch of things i think in journey you can always see something that you want to go to it's fairly obvious where like the next marker is i like... think so and i'm pretty sure if you try to stray too much like to the west or the east you the kind of sands just blow you back in mm. there's always something on the horizon i think in that game yeah yeah so it's like you never there's never a situation where you won't have a tutorial in some shape or form like guidance would be present even if it's all exploration right i think it's just more like outcome you just try some it test it mm. it's you know that is one way of learning but damn slow <laughs> right i think this leads on to my next question about you know how do you make a tutorial fun like should they make the player feel smart or happy or something else mm, i think empowered is probably how you'd want them to feel oh kind of want them to, you know you want them to get the mechanics you want there to be some challenge you don't want it to just be you know you're in happy cloud land and you walk forward and nothing kills you but at the same time you do want it to be kind of a safe environment where it's easy repeats just in case you maybe miss a jump or you mess something up so 
Um, I think just, you know, having the mechanics, feeling comfortable being able to use them and maybe sort of getting an introduction into the sort of world that they're in, that is sort of what you would want from the tutorial, I think. I don't know. I have an issue with tutorials babying you sometimes, but it kind of depends on the game and how they handle it. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm more of like of the idea that you're essentially teaching a bunch of associations that will then carry through throughout your playing experience. So like Half-Life 2, when you first get like the gravity gun, you're basically told to pick up a ball and throw it to like this robot dog. And you do that a couple of times and you, you get through that pretty quick. It's kind of like the idea of, you know, when you pick up a gun, you should have something that teaches you how to use it. Uh, but later on, there'll be like a doorway that's blocked and it'll have like a zombie that's been cut in half by a razor blade. And you have to pull the razor blade out to progress, but it also teaches you the association of, like the association before told you, hey, I can pick stuff up with this thing. And then the next association was, hey, I can remove barriers, but I can also potentially damage enemies through this interaction. So I think it's, they're most important to teach you the associations, but I think there's also something for later on when you're solving puzzles to have some kind of like setup for a puzzle that almost shows you how you can approach it without giving you a solution. Maybe like you have a, like a half-finished puzzle or a puzzle where the brute force solution is very obvious, but the kind of actual solution is not. Yeah, I agree with like half-completed puzzles. That's nice to have, especially if it's like their first time seeing something. Like, yeah, that can definitely be useful. I will repeat that. I think the first 10-15 minutes should be fun, you know? If this is boring, if you're playing the tutorial and you're bored, you might not even want to get through the tutorial to play the game because you're like, this is the game. This is just boring, easy, blah, blah, blah. Um, obviously, you don't need a tutorial to be too hard, but I think I'm yet to see a tutorial that has been too hard. <laughs> I guess, okay, if there's a tutorial, like you were saying, makes you frustrated and you really don't want to go through it, should tutorials by default then be skippable if you've got players that possibly feel like that? The, the big example I can think of is um, The Witness, I guess, has that kind of thing, where you start off and you're given like, problems that you can't solve, but you have the option of going past that, learning some more, and then coming back. I feel like building the associations should not be skippable, but the maybe the actual like puzzles or problem solving that you need those associations to solve could be if you had something like The Witness where you can come back after learning more. I think maybe if you have like a linear game you should structure your puzzles so that it's almost impossible to fail. At least I do like what you said about like having a, um, a non-linear structure for certain puzzle games. I know I've made a few puzzle games before and it can be nice to you know sometimes with a puzzle you just do not get it and then you come back to it the next day and you're like how did I not get that? I just did that in five minutes. So like it can be nice to just think, all right, I need a breather. I can't do this level. I'm going to do a different level. So say on a puzzle game, sometimes you'll get access to the next three levels. And you always have three levels that are unlocked that you have not completed. But you've not necessarily completed level 10. But you can play 11 and 12, maybe you finish 11 and 12, and then you go on to 13, 14, and then you think, okay, maybe I should go back to 10 now and see if I can figure that one out. You could still go forward if you wanted to. But by being able to go back to 10, um, it kind of is nice just in a puzzle game because puzzle games in particular can be very frustrating when you just cannot get past a certain 
area just to like a mental block um and you kind of want your players to be able to continue playing but yeah having having that sort of open structure is quite nice in one game that i made we had eight sections and there was like the left branch and the right branch so there was a four and a four and um you know if you thought ah oh, this branch is really doing my head in we'll just swap to the other branch and it makes it not too branching but um also gives them the option to at least flip once um in terms of the question about being skippable i mean if the player wants to skip a tutorial i feel like it's probably pretty poorly designed you know it's supposed to be something engaging so in a way you want to teach them without knowing that you're teaching them again i think there shouldn't be a tutorial level it should be level one you kind of straight into the action maybe there's a little bit of story as well so yeah i i don't think the only exception that I would say where you can skip training uh, or the tutorial session is when you are playing a game of a particular genre that is so rooted in the genre that you know exactly what you're doing. I played League of Legends for about four years before I played Heroes of the Storm. And when you fire up Heroes of the Storm for the first time, they say, do you know the MOBA genre? And I was like, I am a MOBA master Thank you. <laughs> but there are four options. One's like, I don't even know what a MOBA is. I kind of have played one once. One's like intermediate. And the last one's like, I'm an expert. I think the last one actually says, I'm an expert in, in Heroes of the Storm itself. Mm. So maybe it would tell you the difference between Heroes of the Storm and other MOBAs if you took option number three. So it can be nice to sort of give the player their option to say okay this is how much tutorial i need and i don't need any more than that um and i think that is particularly the case with games that really fit to their genre another one might be battle royale genres yeah i think definitely multiplayer you can't you can't run the tutorial whilst they're also running with other people just because you need to teach these lessons separately and yeah in a multiplayer game, there's like a lot happening at once, so you, there's no time if you're playing with other people to break down these individual lessons that you want the person to learn, because the pace of the game is not up to you essentially. Yeah, I yeah I did I did write about this on a separate point, but like pausable games are great because you can just have your tutorial there and there. If you're in the middle of a fight, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to pause until you have to deal with all these mobs that are about to rip you to pieces. But it's paused. But like you said, in the multiplayer environment, you don't have that. So you can't just you can't just throw people in. And the Heroes of the Storm tutorial and the League of Legends tutorial is single player, like you said. So it is something that's necessary. If they are going to go through the tutorial of a multiplayer game, they kind of just play with bots, basically. I think um, I really like what you said about branching, um, because uh, I was talking about before how like Stardew Valley unlocks uh, fishing on like day two, mining on like day three or four or something, and it's kind of good because they're all lessons that are separate from like anything else you do in the game. Um, so I like the fact that it doesn't just after you finish the first initial couple of steps, it's just like hey now you can do anything. There is something that reminds me of like of you of like hey now you can do this and hey now you can do that. So you you're kind of like building up this task set schedule instead of either not knowing that these things exist, or suddenly finding out that all these things exist and not knowing what to do first. So I think there's kind of like dangers in branching too much at once kind of thing. There's also benefits to branching and not blocking content behind having done like the tutorial up to like level 20 or something. 
when it was something you could have done at level 5. Or, you know, like once you know the movement and how to use actions and items, then you can do fishing or you can do mining or you can do a bunch of things in, in your game. So there's... Yeah, I definitely agree that you can go too heavy with here's all the options you could possibly want and yeah. then, especially when you're kind of expecting some content to be harder than others, you would want to gate the harder content so players aren't thinking, well, this looks fun, I'll do this, and then they're banging their head against the wall for five minutes because this is the hardest puzzle in the game. So, yeah, I, would, I definitely agree with sort of spreading out the content um, and it also, you know, it lightens the load for the tutorial because you just don't have as much in terms of mechanics available to you in the beginning. That's quite interesting. Like, so the, the examples that you both are using kind of imply that like different genres may have different types of tutorials or the ways they go about using tutorials, would you say? Like you were saying with the MOBA versus Stardew Valley, for example. Yeah, and especially like I think one of the things we're hitting hard on is like the pacing is very important. And mm -hmm. even like the MOBA, t MOBA tutorials, even for new players, they're very fast because they know that they can't fit it into a live multiplayer game. They know that you're here for the live multiplayer games. So they try and shorten it as much as possible to get people into those live multiplayer games as quick as possible, whilst also teaching them the lesson enough lessons that they can kind of figure out the rest of the stuff by themselves. Whereas like Stardew Valley it doesn't have that like time sensitive pacing just because hey you came here for farming. We're going to show you how to do farming straight away, and then over time we're going to show you how to do more and more things. Well, not necessarily show you, but we're going to let you know that these things are now accessible, and when you go to them there'll be one short lesson that will introduce you, and then you're in, kind of thing. I think it's really interesting that you brought up League of Legends, because I've just remembered, um, in the League of Legends tutorial, you, uh, you play Ash and you're against Trundle, and you are wearing Thorn Mail. Um, I'll basically, yeah, I'll explain it in basic concepts. So you actually cannot physically die in the tutorial. It is literally impossible. You cannot be killed because the the enemy that's hitting you hurts itself based on the item that you have. So even if you literally just stood there for the entire time, it would kill itself hitting you. And I thought it was really funny that they put that in. So I guess in the tutorial setting, they do not want you to die because they want you to just have fun and death yeah. i guess is not it's fun comfort, right as a principle yeah comfort i suppose so yeah that's comfort in um in application um i think you do have to be careful though because if then what they take away from that is that enemies barely do any damage and then yeah. they go into a multiplayer game and get trounced and they don't understand that like what they did wrong because they they were thinking that the you know, because maybe you don't just stand there, maybe you actually try and kill the enemy, but you don't think that the enemy is doing much damage, because you're not really paying attention, kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this was like super, super beginner tutorial. Yeah, this was yeah. like, this is how you move in a MOBA game. <laughs> you right-click a, a spot yeah. on the floor. So, like, I do get that you're kind of teaching the wrong lesson, but this is probably someone, like, that was built for someone who has probably never played a game in their entire life. Yeah. So there are like stages. You've got the tutorial which says this is your, this is how you move, this is how you attack, and then the next step is really beginner bots, um, which has a bunch of sort of helping, helping hand 
UI in there as well. It will sound like kind of say you should buy money. Yeah, you should probably recall. You should probably spend money. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, just to make sure that you are playing the game, sort of as intended. As for the tutorials based on genre, yeah, I mean it's kind of similar to what I was saying. Like if a game is very similar to its genre, then maybe you make the the thing optional because some players will already be very very familiar with the mechanics that you've already suggested. I, I don't really know. This is kind of a tough one. I feel like if your game is extremely, extremely unique and very different to any other game that's sort of out there, then you're going to want to make sure that your tutorial is extremely solid. There's a game that I've seen on Steam, which has like won loads of rewards, uh, well, sorry, won loads of awards, uh, called Cultist Simulator. And it looks like a card game. I can't say I know a great deal about it, but from what I understand, the mechanics are quite different to any sort of other card game that's out there they've got like some pretty unique rules in there um whether or not it's the case if you have a really unique game that is out there and doesn't really follow any mechanics from you know it's if it's not an easily relatable concept like a platformer where you walk forward and you jump everyone can kind of get behind that quite quickly but if you've got you know a complicated strategy game or um some very unique puzzle mechanics you're going to want to make sure that your tutorial is extremely strong whereas you know if you're making like i said a platformer almost everybody knows what a platformer is i've seen two-year-olds playing platformers on their ipads so um if you make something that's that straightforward then maybe that's not as big a deal for those sort of games yeah i mean i think even platformers have lessons that need to be taught like especially mario you can think of like all the different enemy types especially like cooper shells or like blocks that you can jump up and hit things out of there's a lot of scenarios that you can engineer so that the, the player has to jump but by jumping they'll like hit a block and then coins will come out and they'll think oh well, that's that's how that works kind of thing yeah um, no i get that i'm not saying that no platformer ever needs any instructions but more you can kind of get your basis going yeah. even if you never pick up a mushroom you never break a block it's not really gonna be a problem yeah yeah uh, I, I, in terms of progression i do think like with stuff like key bindings like m most of the games where they've had just like oh wsd is run like it takes like two seconds and if you're as long as it's in the gameplay anyway like the person who already knows what controls to press will just do it and they run straight past the sign, whereas the person who has no idea has never used a keyboard before, <laughs> um, yeah. maybe that's a bit extreme, will we'll stand there and go, oh, okay. So I think even with platformers, and, and I'm presuming that you're not, this isn't a thing that's taking a long time, it's just like you get to the first jump and it's like, it has a background image of like a W and the person leaping or something. I don't know, like, there's a lot of ways you can put it in the environment without necessarily needing to have like a giant text box that says you can do it. I know I think Nina Celeste has like a little bird that as you come up the bird will like squawk it out kind of thing but it's it's literally only within like the first two minutes because you can you can run through like all of your key bindings in like the first 30 seconds of gameplay whilst also keeping it in the, the level so the people who already know all this stuff would have done it anyway you know they they go up to the wall and they hit jump and there's a thing telling them to jump but they would have done it anyway kind of thing yeah, no, I could definitely that see sense. that. In terms of, like, genre, the only other thing that I would say is quite important is whether or not the game is pausable. So this is coming back to what we said about multiplayer games, not really having that comfort level where you can just pause the game and let people know. 
this is what you do here and you're in a safe zone even though you're technically in a dangerous zone you're paused so there's not really any pressure to read stuff extremely quickly or to try and be fighting whilst you're also reading yeah that's that's something that could also have an impact i would say if if it is a game that you cannot pause then maybe using the death screen or the respawn screen uh, is a good time to display stuff like this um, and it was something that I wanted to mention earlier, actually. With UI, your tutorial is kind of never over. It's no longer a tutorial, but there are often tips on death screens. I know on Overwatch they have this, and they'll say, you know, maybe uh, you should use, like, a dive champion against um, the snipers, or maybe you should stay out of open cover, like, stay out of open ground if there are snipers. If you've just died to a Widowmaker, it... I'm, sh- I'm sure there's some part where it suggests that, uh, even if there's not, even if I'm making this up, then there are lots of games that keep mentioning their mechanics time after time after time, even though you, ex- you know exactly what it is, but it doesn't really feel like it's impeding you. I think on Two Point Hospital, if someone dies, it will say, somebody died, you probably should have more GP rooms so that they're not waiting for so long. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I know, I know this, but it's not really anything that bothers you to hear this again um, and maybe you forgot or maybe you didn't know and maybe it's the first time it's ever happened to you but it just like constantly come back to kind of remind you of those lessons yeah i mean i think suggestions like that are really good there is a tiny line you have to be careful of where you're putting important things in a loading screen which is then random how many times they actually view the loading screen in the first place and then maybe it's randomly generating or there's some kind of formula that works it out. So I think like suggestions are really good, especially like having feedback, you know, if someone dies or, or you know, when something goes wrong, you get feedback on why that thing occurred. I think that's very important. Yeah, uh, I mean, I made a simple mobile game um, and when you die, it, there's, always a, there's always a tip when you die. And the tip, I made it, if there's a specific thing that you died to, then it explains what that mechanic is. Say, for example, you die to spikes, and it will say, spikes are dangerous when they're up, or something. You know, that's just an example. But you can make it that the tips are tailored towards what happened, which is kind of like what happens with Overwatch. Am I making that up, or does that actually happen um, in Overwatch? I don't necessarily know if it's Overwatch. I can't... I think... No, I think there is... It's like loading watch point Gibraltar, and I think there is a tip in the bottom left. I just stopped reading them, like... A long time. Yeah, I know exactly. People just stop um, reading them because they, they don't even notice them anymore. It does but, have uh, certain things like with team comp, and it will say like, "Oh, you have too many yeah. tanks." Or I think I think it's bad to put lessons in there just because you don't know if people will read it. You don't know. But yeah, like I wouldn't want the whole lesson in there, but kind of either a recap or a suggestion. Yeah, I think like there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. yeah. Some really complex ideas being discussed here. But they're really interesting as well. I mean, it just shows that like tutorials can be you know universal but there are still very small tiny things that you do need to consider and change and adapt dependent on who your game's for and the style of game you're going with and that leads on to my final question do you think tutorials are bigger than teaching gameplay so for example do they play a role in like world world building or setting the atmosphere for example or even community building outside of the game Normally, just because they're at the very beginning of the game, they kind of play this pivotal role. You can't normally avoid putting them kind of center stage to what your game is about. I think the first kind of couple of minutes really sets the 
theme for your game. And games like Dead Cells do it really well, uh, Celeste does it really well. In a lot of games you kind of see the theme of kind of almost the climb. So mm. uh, with Dead Cells it's like, oh hey, you've just fallen into this sewers and now you've possessed a suit of armor and there's this lady who seems to know who you are and you're kind of like figuring stuff out and trying to understand the world. So I think because your goal for the tutorial is to understand the nature of the world and how you interact with it and build associations between like objects in the world and your ability to act on that world. I think that it's unavoidable to tell some kind of like world building story through that. Not necessarily story, but to introduce the world and how things interact and especially if your game play mechanics tied to the way you interact with characters or the way your character is constructed. You know, if you're a slime, you obviously have very different like interaction methods to a human being. Or... So I think, yeah, if, if you spend too, if you focus too much on just the mechanics, you'll miss out on a vital opportunity to kind of teach people about the world. I know like, like Half-Life 2 has you arriving on the train and all you can do is walk. And then you get arrested, and then you have to escape. But there's no like gunplay mechanics. You're just running, walking, and it teaches you climbing through like being able to climb on like crates and stuff to get out of places. And it really, it naturally shows you how to do things whilst also building the world. And I think also this world building can reduce the feeling of the whole process being a tutorial. You know, because like like with Celeste, you might be jumping up things and just running, but at the same time you're at the start of your journey, you're running across these bridges that are breaking behind you, so you know there's no going back. You're constantly climbing upwards. Like, I think probably the tutorial has the most verticality of any level, because it's introducing this idea of you're going up this mountain. And even some of the subsequent levels are quite kind of flat. There's this entire, like, castle. So having that world building there, I think, reduces the feel of it being tutorial, but it also capitalizes on, like, the most important part of your game, which is the introduction to the world. and your interactions with it. I think it's also relevant that you know a lot of games introduce characters in the tutorials. In particular, there's often the trope of the men mentor, who <clears throat> is basically the person that is teaching you how to do the game. Obviously, sometimes tutorials just come up, they pop up on the UI, and it just says, this is how this works. Uh, but sometimes it will be... Obviously, sometimes it's also in the environment, like it might be a signpost, or maybe there's, you know, like you said, a picture of someone jumping and W behind them, or a space bar. But... It's also, you know, in the characters, and it can be very nice to sort of introduce some of your characters here, make a connection. I mean, look at Undertale. You know, spoilers ahead. Sorry, guys. You kill the person that teaches you how to play the entire game. Um, and that's sort of supposed to have, like, an emotional impact when you kill Toriel, whose name is a fun on tutorial. There's no one actually picked that up. <laughs> um, but, you, you know... You don't, don't have, have to kill, kill it, no. It's yeah. it's kind of implied that you will. It depends on what ending you're going for. Um, but I think a lot of people just, they think, oh, I'll just do the attack button rather than the passive one. Um, anyway, whichever one you choose, she's the one that teaches you um, the game and you kind of have an emotional connection to her whether or not you kill her or you, you keep her alive. Um, but, you know, mentors are pretty common. You've got Navi, who's like, infamous from Ocarina of Time. Um, you've got Phil in Hercules. He's like your trainer. So he it makes sense for him to be teaching you these kinds of things. <clears throat> Sometimes it's even the self, you know. Um, like I said, in the Spider-Man, um, the new Spider-Man game that's just come out, 
he says a lot of stuff like, I should do this. I should shoot my web so I can climb up this wall, which, you know, I've already expressed my problems with that. But yeah, he sort of says to himself what he should be doing. And that's also the same for Cadence in Crypto the Necrodancer. During the tutorial, she says, oh, these zombies seem to be moving in this pattern. I should hit them when they're not moving towards me. So, you, you know, you can also use the avatar of who you're playing as to actually teach the mechanics themselves. Kind of depends on the world and the story and um, who you want to introduce. It's kind of weird because, like, when we say onboarding process, it's not only teaching them the mechanics, but it's also, like, teaching them about the world. I've played a few, um, I've played a few uh, narrative adventure games that were very cheap. And... Um, yeah, I got about 10 minutes in. I was like, I'm, I'm just bored. I'm not hooked. I'm not really interested. Obviously, there's not really much to teach there in terms of mechanics a lot of the time. But um, yeah, this, I was just not hooked. So you kind of not only want to make sure that they know what they're doing from like a mechanical perspective, but you also kind of want them to sort of get a grip on the world, have a few hooks in there to make sure that they're actually interested in what's happening. I did a lot of like literary studies before I started um, looking into this narrative game. And one of the things that was recommended was that you start you start as far into the action as you can. So this is a film or a book. It's not really necessary for games per se, but you kind of want to start and, you know, like bam, right in the action. You're probably in a fight as soon as you've spawned into the game. Um, I think this is how the Mega Man series starts. You just kind of... In, you just have to throw yourself in there and even though there is comfort level it doesn't feel like there is because that it feels like the stakes are quite high it feels quite dangerous because you are encountering enemies even though they're not especially difficult to overcome so in a sense if you can like um start in uh like quite a tense environment already then you know the play is going to be very interested i think this happens in sonic adventure 2 they start with a boss fight. Um, I'm not going to say Sonic is the pinnacle of gameplay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, that, that happens where they, they pretty much start with a boss fight. So um, just something worth considering if you want to make sure that, you know, people are invested sort of from a lore perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree there. It has to be tense. I think I, I do agree with the point, though, that every game is essentially like when you start off you're at the humble beginning stage and you need to be very clear about like where you are now and where you want to be um, partly because the player doesn't know who they are in the game what they're doing and also obviously if you start off like with everything then kind of what's the point um, so you can use like really tense scenarios like maybe you pull yourself out of a mountain of corpses and you don't know who you are um, I think like Dark Souls starts with you getting taken by like an eagle and dropped off somewhere or something or it's like that already starts you in a jail um yeah i mean having having an event that sets up clearly hey there's something going on here and we need to know more or like with zelda there's a bunch of like hey we're a boy in a village and we want to leave the village so having um the tutorial incorporate that that idea of like hey you're beginning out and as a kid, like you need a sword and you need a shield to get by in this world, and that kind of story of you're figuring out who you are, but you've got a clear objective, and the tutorial aids in like achieving steps towards that objective. Yeah, no, I get you. It's kind of like the call to arms 
yeah if we look at like I can't, I can't remember exactly what the structure is there's like that seven seven structure story thing um oh i'm not even gonna go into it because i can't remember it very well <laughs> but yeah this is like the call to arms and you could just be some you know peasant some uh humble farm boy or something and um yeah you, you, like you said you have to sort of get all your bits together to uh to to take the fight to the enemies yeah well like like i guess skyrim has the the example of, of hey shit's uh hit the fat and we need to sort things out yeah i saw i read a review actually of Mega Man. i think this was the second Mega Man. um and at the beginning of the game, you're kind of going through whilst uh, I think there's like a traffic, there's like just stuff crashing all around you, and um, you get, you fight, I think, the final boss, and you obviously get your ass kicked, and you don't last very long at all, and it's actually intended that you die, um, and then when you're on like one health left, uh, someone comes in, saves your life, um, and they're like the super mega powered version of what you like aspire to be and what you eventually will be. Mm. Um, and the, the reviewer mentioned that they thought it was um, they thought it was really like neat because you get to see all the powers that you will eventually have, and you're like, oh, I want that, I want that now. Yeah. And then that's kind of like your drive to play the game and get your power ups. And also, you already hate the final boss because you met him <laughs> and he tried to rip you to pieces. So it kind of like sets up, this is the antagonist, this is, you know, what you could be, and this is where your starting point is. Yeah, I, I very much like the idea of like somebody else has all the powers, because I've seen games where they just give you all the powers straight away and then they take it away, and that feels horrible. <laughs> yeah, that um, is another problem in itself. The other thing I think you need to be careful of when doing that kind of stuff is just um, if you have a final boss, make sure it and, and you want to make sure that the player fails. Make sure it's really obvious that they were never intended to beat that person. Um, yeah, that is. Yeah, I have an issue with that as well. I'm not yeah, going to say that's beautiful design. It's, it's the other issue of like uh, the other issue that's similar is you have a jump that you can't make. Yeah, but it's pretty it so like close. That it looks like you almost can make it, and then this, you have a person who just tries like 40 million times and uh, complains on a forum. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree with that. It should be over pretty quickly. Yeah, so I think the tutorial has different functions throughout the game. So, you you know, you have the general teaching you stuff, but then there is also that world building and kind of giving you the vibe and atmosphere of the game, I guess, as you go along. I think but, I mean, it's used effectively, then yeah. you can like build a lot of these in to sort of make a more cohesive tutorial experience rather than you know, making something boring and very straightforward. Yeah, I think it's making it really clearly like, well-rounded, I guess. But, I mean, that's within the game, right? So what about, like, outside of the game? So I think this is a point Dan discussed before we even started the podcast, was, like, you know, you get Minecraft communities and wiki pages and stuff like that. Do they count as tutorials or, yeah, you know, when I mean... the player plays a role? Exactly. I think Minecraft is like a really interesting example of this because in the early days, crafting, nowadays it's different because you get a craft recipe book. I'm not entirely sure how it works. I think you can always craft one more thing 
Um, and then eventually, when you craft that thing, you can it tells you what the next thing is that you haven't crafted yet. So you kind of unlock all your recipes, and you'll have your recipe book within the game. But previously, um, you didn't have anything. It's just you got nine tiles. You can fill them in any arrangement with anything at all, and you kind of just have to bumble your way through to figure out what it is that you have to do. Um, I when I was playing Minecraft, uh, I was introduced to it by a friend. So my friend was like, oh, this is how you make a door. This is how you make wood. This is how you make a house. Um, and it's like, well, that's great. But, who, you know, someone has to start this. There has to be player zero. So, like, you know, who who is going to be the first person to learn all of this stuff? And um, you, you could, I could not play that game unless I had, you know, the wiki open on the other page. I just physically couldn't. Um, I actually watched, um, there's there's a playthrough of one of the uh, games that I made within Minecraft, which uh, you have to craft, you have to craft things at a certain time. It's like you're running a shop. People come and say, I want this. You craft it and then they go away when you've crafted it for them. And, you know, the people were actually saying, I don't know how to make this stuff. I don't remember these recipes. It was just quite funny because that is exactly how it feels when you're playing Minecraft sometimes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now you've got your recipe book, so it's um, it's a lot more straightforward to actually get into the game. But, you know, Minecraft is another one of those games that doesn't have a tutorial. And, you know, I've, I feel like it's not a good idea to have to rely on um, wikis to... To, to figure out what you're supposed to do, you know? I mean, you, you can barely get started. They have a tutorial. No, they have an achievement system, which is kind of like breadcrumbing players into what they should be doing. You know, like you need to make an axe and then you need to get wood. I think get wood is the very first achievement because it's such a versatile uh, material. But that is the only sort of path that you used to have to get you sort of anywhere at all. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. I guess that's kind of a strange genre because it's a sandbox game. But, again, I, I I don't know. I really don't know how people managed to get into that in the beginning without having any access to sort of wiki articles. In terms of, like, whether or not developers or players should be maintaining them, it's kind of an awkward question. I feel like developers wouldn't maintain them. I think that's more like pertinent a question like there's there's a lot of stuff to be done when they're sort of working on games and the other thing is when a game is done oftentimes it will not get updated again unless someone's working on dlc for something uh or it's maybe a multiplayer online game where they're kind of doing ongoing support or balance changes when a game is done sometimes it's just done it's not going to receive any more updates so there isn't really any benefit to a developer developing the wiki um so I feel like it is something that kind of does fall on the users to do. And I feel like a lot of users are happy to do it. These are like the power users who are really interested in um, the actual game itself. So it's probably not really, doesn't feel like a big task to them. There's there's the difficulty with like maintaining it, making sure it's up to date, if there are some changes. Um, and I find that wikis for smaller games in particular, especially some indie games, they either just do not exist or they're like completely um, inaccurate. I I played Dungeon of the Endless, uh, and I I got into the mechanics of that. I thought it was really interesting, and so I looked into it more deeply to do a little bit more research about strategies, etc. And um, the more I looked, the more I was like, this is wrong, this is incorrect, this is out of date. Uh, I don't even know what 
you know, this ability doesn't even exist anymore. Like, what are they referring to? Because obviously something had been reworked. So, um, yeah, wickets are kind of a funny one. But I, I feel like that they have their place. You know, sometimes you do want to look at all of the intricacies of, yeah, you really want to break down on the numbers. But something to consider is that, like, if developers want you to know something, then they will put it in the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they if they want you to know, oh, well, this is how this boss works. It does attack one, attack two, attack one, attack three, attack one, attack two, attack one, attack three, etc. So if they wanted you to know that boss rotation, they would just tell you outright. But they probably want you to figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Sometimes um, certain enemies will have like a random chance to do a specific attack. Uh, in Darkest Dungeon, which is um, a turn-based game, uh, certain enemies have random chances to do things, um, and it's not always like uh, a weighted. Sometimes it is weighted, so sometimes you want to know. Okay, there's like a 75% chance that this is going to happen when I do this. There's one enemy which um, he summons three enemies, so that it fills up the slot to four, and he is the fourth slot. Uh, and if you kill all three, he is almost guaranteed to respawn all of those enemies. But um, the, the, the strategy there is to either kill one or two, so that he's not likely to refresh the board. Um, but um, what I'm trying to get at is if you expose all of these percentages and probabilities and chances to the player, not only is it really difficult for the player to sort of digest this, how are you even going to show this in UI, but... You probably don't want the player to know, oh, that's exactly what I do. You know, you kind of want them to sort of figure these out for themselves, start to learn the feel for probabilities and chances. Um, and also, if they know all these probabilities and chances, they can probably abuse them, which makes the game probably easier than they intended to make them in the beginning. So I think I think they have their place, and I think it's important for players who are, you know, very serious, very hardcore players who you know want to play at the highest level, they need to know mana costs, cooldowns, you know, cooldowns to the exact sec like fraction of a second. Um, but if it's if it's just, you know, your casual player, they don't need to have all of this extraneous information because it's just bloat and it just gets in the way. So um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't think wikis are the devil. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not, I don't think it's something that devs would be updating. And I think, yeah, I think they have their place for like extraneous information that developers probably didn't mean to include in the game or would just serve as bloat. Yeah, I think especially games like Minecraft because there is so much to explore and so much to learn. You know, like how far can you, I guess, guide the player or provide them with all this information? Because yeah. then it can get overwhelming if they talk what each block does and where you can find it. Um, and then times that by a thousand, for example. So I think wikis are kind of cool because it's like, you know, players creating their own databases and collecting their own information that other players can then use to guide themselves through. So I think it does come down a lot to the experience the developers want the player to have, the type of experience they want them to have and share with others as well. Because, I mean, when Minecraft did get quite big, you know, a huge part of that was learning from each other as well. Uh, and comparing what we built to each other as well. I, I have a couple of problems with the way Minecraft does it, um, just because they tend to, they have a few different ideas for teaching the players how to progress, but they don't really commit to any one of them very well. Um, like they have achievements to 
the idea being that as you complete achievements, you'll complete them in a sequence, in a branching sequence that will show you what you need to do next. Like, oh, I need to punch a tree, oh, I need to chop some wood. So the achievements are kind of done very awkwardly. Like, there's a few, like, super easy ones, and there's a bunch of, like, really random ones, like, fly a pig off a cliff, and, and then they have the crafting manual that I haven't really played around with too much, so it might be good. Um, but regardless of that, I think, uh, you know, like, like you said, wikis, e even if they're not for, like, casual players, I think they're really important for people who want, like, min-max stuff. The types of players who will, like, want to know the optimal route for things, I think they can be very handful, handy for. Um, especially, like, if your game's really complex, like a game like RimWorld, where you can't explain everything easily. Some kind of supporting thing outside of the game is, is often quite good. But I don't think you should rely on it too much. Awesome, I think I've learned a lot about tutorials today. Um, they are much more complex than I would have expected. Um, and there's so many things you need to consider that I wouldn't have thought about. 